Indwelling Sin, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, part one. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. Job 40, verses 3 and 4. Surely, if any man had a right to say, I am not vile, it was Job. For according to the testimony of God himself, he was a perfect and upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Yet we find even this eminent saint with when by his nearness to God, he had received light enough to discover his own condition, exclaiming, behold, I am vile. We are sure that what Job was forced to say, we may each of us assent unto whether we be God's children or not. And if we be partakers of divine grace, it becomes a subject of great consideration for us. Since even we, although we be regenerated, must exclaim one, each one for himself. Behold, I am vile. It is a doctrine, as I believe, taught us in holy writ that when a man is saved by divine grace, he is not wholly cleansed from the corruption of his heart. When we believe in Jesus Christ, all our sins are pardoned, yet the power of sin albeit that it is weakened and kept under by the dominion of a newborn nature, which God doth infuse into our souls, doth not cease, but still tarrieth in us and will do so to our dying day. In a doctrine held by all the Orthodox that there dwelleth still in the regenerate the lust of the flesh and that there doth still remain in the hearts of those who are converted by God's mercy the evil of carnal nature. I have found it very difficult to distinguish in experimental matters concerning sin. It is usual with many writers, especially with hymn writers, to confound the two natures of a Christian. Now I hold that there is in every Christian two natures, as distinct as were the two natures of God-man Christ Jesus. There is one nature which cannot sin, because it is born of God, a spiritual nature, coming directly from heaven, as pure and as perfect as God himself, who is the author of it. And there is also in man that ancient nature, which by the fall of Adam hath become altogether vile, corrupt, sinful, and devilish. There remains in the heart of the Christian a nature which cannot do that which is right any more than it could before regeneration and which is as evil as it was before the new birth as sinful as altogether hostile to god's laws as it ever was a nature with as i said before is curbed and kept under by the new nature in a great measure but which is not removed and never will be until this tabernacle of our flesh is broken down and we soar into that land into which there shall never enter anything that defileth. It will be my business this morning to say something of that evil nature which still abides in the righteous. This is, does remain as shall first attempt to prove and the other points I will suggest to you as we proceed. Number one, 
The fact and the great and terrible fact that even the righteous have in them evil natures. Job said, behold, I am vile. He did not always know it. All through the long controversy, he had declared himself to be just and upright. He had said, my righteousness, I will hold fast and I will not let it go. And notwithstanding, he did scrape his body with a potsherd and his friends did vex his mind with the most bitter revelings. But yet he still held fast his integrity and would not confess his sin. But when God came to plead with him, he had no sooner listened to the voice of God in the whirlwind and heard the question, shall not the judge of all earth do right? Then at once he put his finger on his lips and would not answer God, but simply said, behold, I am vile. Possibly some may say that Job was an exception to the rule. And they will tell us the other saints had not in them such a reason for humiliation. But we remind them of David and we bid them read the 51st penitential psalm where we find him declaring that he was shapen in iniquity and in sin did his mother conceive him, confessing that he had sin within him in many other places in the psalms. David doth continually acknowledge and confess and he is not perfectly rid of sin that still that evil viper doth twist itself around his heart. Turn also, if you please, to Isaiah. There you have him in one of his visions, saying that he was a man of unclean lips and that he dwelt among a people of unclean lips. But more especially under the gospel dispensation, you find Paul in that memorable chapter. We have been reading, declaring that he find or found in his members a law warring against the law of his mind and bringing him into captivity to the law of sin. Yea, we hear the remarkable exclamation of struggling desire and intense agony. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Do you expect to find yourselves better saints than Job? Do you imagine that the confession which befitteth the mouth of David is too mean for you? Are ye so proud that ye shall not exclaim with Isaiah, I am also a man of unclean lips? Or rather, have you progressed so far in pride that ye dare to exalt yourselves above the laborious Apostle Paul and to hope that in you, that is, in your flesh, there dwelleth any good thing? If ye do think yourselves to be perfectly pure from sin, hear ye the word of God. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sins, we make God a liar. But scarcely do I need to prove this, beloved. For all of you, I am sure, who know anything about the experience of a living child of God have found that in your best and happiest moments, sin still dwells in you. That when you would serve your God the best, sin frequently works in you the most furiously. There have been many saints of God who have abstained for a time from doing anything they have known to be sin, but still there has not been one who has been inwardly perfect. If a being were perfect, the angels would come down in 10 minutes and carry him off to heaven, for he would be ripe for it as soon as he had attained perfection. I found in talking to men who have said a good deal about perfection that 
After all, they really did not believe in any such thing. They have taken the word and attached a different meaning to it, and either then proved a doctrine which we all knew before, or else supposed a perfection so absurd and worthless that I would not give three half pence for it if I might have it. In many of them, it is a fault, I believe, of their brains rather than their hearts. And as John Barrett says, God will wash their brains before they get to heaven. But why should I stay to prove this when you have daily proofs of it yourselves? How many times do you feel that corruption is still within you? Mark how easily you are surprised into sin. You rise in the morning and dedicate yourselves by fervent prayer to God, thinking what a happy day you have before you. Scarce have you uttered your prayer when something comes to ruffle your spirit. Your good resolutions are cast to the wind and you say, this day, which I thought would be such a happy one, has suffered a terrific inroad, and I cannot live to God as I would. Perhaps you thought, I will go upstairs and ask my God to keep me. Well, were you in the main kept by the power of God, but on a sudden something came, an evil temper on a sudden surprised you? Your heart was taken by storm when you were not expecting an attack. The doors were broken open and some unholy expression came forth from your lips and down you went again in your knees and privately exclaiming, Lord, I am vile. I have found out that I have something in my heart, which when I have bolted my doors and think all is safe, creeps forth and undoes every bolt and lets in sin. Besides, beloved, you will find in your heart even when you are not surprised into sin, such an awful tendency to do evil that it as much as you can do to keep it in check and to say hitherto shall thou come, but no further. Nay, you will find it more than you can do unless a divine power is within you and preventing grace restrains your passions and prevent you from indulging your inbred lusts? Ah, soldiers of Jesus, ye have felt, I know ye have felt the uprisings of corruption, for ye knew or know the Lord in sincerity and in truth, and you dare not unless you would make yourselves liars to your own hearts. Hope to be in this world perfectly free from sin. Having stated that fact, I must just make a remark upon it and leave it. How wrong it is of any of us from the fact of our possessing evil hearts to excuse our sins. I have known some persons who profess to be Christians speak very lightly of sin. There was corruption still remaining and therefore they said they could not help it. Such persons have no visible part nor lot in God's covenant. The truly loving child of God, though he knows sin is there, hates that sin. It is a pain and misery to him, and he never makes the corruption of his heart as an excuse for the corruption of his life. He never pleads the evil of his nature as an apology for the evil of his conduct. If any man can, in the least degree, clear himself from the conviction of his own conscience 
on account of his daily failings by pleading the evil of his heart. He is not one of the broken hearted children of God. He is not one of the tried servants of the Lord, for they groan concerning sin and carry it to God's throne. They know that it is in them. They do not therefore leave it, but seek with all their minds to keep it down in order that it may not rise and carry them away. Mind that unless you should make what I say a cloak to your licentiousness and a covering to your guilt. <laughs> 